1984, the first Apple Macintosh goes on sale and costs a whopping $2,500. Rick Allen, the drummer for Def Leppard, lost his arm after a car accident. A cybernetic replacement was offered to him, but he turned it down stating, The hyperalloy irritates my skin, and the microprocessors that control it always short out when I spill my Jack Daniels on them. GameZillaMedia.com It's time for the last action podcast! Pop quiz, hot shot! Hey, motherfucker. I feel the need for need for we can kill it. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Last Action Podcast. I am LPJ. Yo, 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 yo. It's the Sphinx. I hate you. I hate your intro. What? They are the worst. They're oh. fantastic. Oh, my God. You know what? They are fantastic, and I'm fantastic to be here. Does that make sense? I'm fantastic to be here. Nothing you say makes sense. I'm moving on, man, because you and I have a true gem that we're going to go over today, don't we? We absolutely do. I am very excited for this. I am as excited for this as I was with RoboCop. Mm. What? I don't even want to talk about that movie, do we, right now? We probably shouldn't. No, even though I think we're going to because of similarities with these two movies, but... I don't know about that. Well, I mean, there's similarities insofar as there's both robots. We are, of course, talking today about 1984's Terminator. Yes, the first one. Yes, the original Terminator. The Terminator. Correct. Yes. Directed by James Cameron in really his directorial debut. Yeah. Uh, he was 30 years old. He was. Um, we're both past 30 years old. What the hell are we doing with our lives? That James Cameron did the terminator at 30 i can't even um, i can't even right i can't imagine even. making a movie like this when i was 30 <laughs> insane right like absolutely insane obviously he's a gifted individual so what uh what is your intro into this movie i mean it's you know it's the terminator but what is maybe your earliest recollection of Terminator or the first, how has it impacted you or something? The first time I had ever heard of this movie, we had a neighbor that lived across the street from us and um, he had kids and, and him and his wife, they had kids our age, well, a little bit younger than me, but, but my sister's age and uh, my sister's name is Sarah. So whenever we would go over there, he would always call my sister Sarah Connor. <laughs> It was it was just kind of a, a funny thing he did. Yeah, and um, so that that's when I first kind of heard of the Terminator is from from mm -hmm. him, and I didn't see the movie until later on until I don't know probably it was before T two came out. Okay, I saw it. I rented it, and I made the mistake of watching it in the living room with my parents there. Yeah, why was that a mistake? Well, because there's that nude sex scene that kind of came up, <laughs> and it was very awkward and okay. very weird. Yeah. And I was, you know, 10 or 11, maybe. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. But you rented it at 10 or 11? Well, they, or rented, they it. rented it they for rented you. They rented it for me. Okay. Like I said, like we've said many times. Yes, yes. We could pretty much see whatever we wanted. Yeah. So it was just sort of weird. Um, but that was the first time I had seen it, and then I was obviously excited when when T two came out, mm -hmm. um, I was you know in full Terminator fervor at that point, 
And uh, but but really, the first time I had, I had heard of it was from my neighbor. Okay, it is crazy that T two is seven years later. It's a long time for a sequel to come out. It really is, and the roots of that movie were already written. Yeah, when the first one came out. Yeah, which that might be a point that we bring up a little bit later. Um, you know, for me, you know, we always mentioned that you know I'm a little bit younger than you, and so I think like for my age, like T two was you know, just out in 91, you know, I was five. I was not alive yet when the first Terminator came out. So I, I think though, nonetheless, so like Terminator is so ubiquitous in my life because it, it's always been around, you know, like the Terminator is, is everywhere, you know, even, even as a kid, you know, most kids probably never saw Terminator, but they knew the lines and they knew, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and that was his role, you know? And so that's, that's, I've always been aware of it. I always knew what it was. Um, but when it comes to this actual movie, I probably didn't actually see it. I think I was in middle school, maybe even high school. My dad had it on DVD and I just think one day I'm like, you know what? I, I want to watch this because I know I had seen T2 before I ever saw the first one because you don't really need to, you don't need to seen the first one a whole lot at all, I guess, to really understand what's going on in the second one. I guess I'd have to really watch the second one again and then figure that out, but as a kid, it never took anything away from me from enjoying them, you know? Yeah, I, I have seen T2 way more times than I've seen T1. Agreed. And you're right. I I did see T1 before I saw T2. However, T2 is the move, is of the two, T2 is my, my favorite. And, I agree. And, and, and I don't know that it's necessarily a better movie, but it's it's definitely my favorite. I think... Upon rewatching this one, I certainly appreciate everything that's in it a lot more than I did the first time I saw it. Yeah, I definitely have way more memories and and, and recollections as a kid with T two, but T one is you know this first Terminator is still an absolutely fantastic movie. So you know watching it for the first time in middle school, rewatching it for this podcast, you know it was a delight without a doubt. So yeah. So you did mention earlier that we have James Cameron. Uh, that is our director for this movie. This is his directorial debut. He, you know, I don't know. He's got an interesting leading up to doing movies because it just seems like he just kind of popped into it. So, you know, he's born in Ontario, moves to California as a kid, um, doesn't appear to like school, dropped out of high school like once or twice, ended up getting a GED or whatever, was a truck driver, and then saw Star Wars, Star Wars and it's like, I, I got to be in the movie business. Like, I got to do Hollywood. And he, I, I couldn't figure it out anymore. I don't know if maybe you know anything more about James Cameron personally, mm-hmm. but he just kind of started tinkering with stuff with special effects work. And he just started picking up little jobs here and there after soon after Star Wars came out. And then boom, like, he's like, I'm, I'm ready to do this with Terminator and then starts writing a little bit. Yeah, you're missing a couple steps in there. He worked for Roger Corman. He was yeah. he was Roger Corman's not his right hand man, but he he did a lot of work with Roger Corman. But like, how did he get that relationship? Because he he was definitely an outsider when at first when he first got into Hollywood, right? Roger Corman did. Okay, Roger Corman's important to films, um, because he 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 very much cultivated the do it yourself filmmaker. Okay. So before there was really independent films, Roger Corman was the independent filmmaker. Okay. Uh, before that was even a thing, it was like Roger Corman. Fair enough. He would take these people that he thought were talented under his wing. So he, he would bring in people like 
Um, lots and lots. Let me let me see if I can pull it up. Lots and lots of people worked for Roger Corman, and obviously Cameron would then be one of those hot shots that he picked up on. Sure, then, right? Cameron was Gail Ann Hurd, who became Roger, who became um, James Cameron's producer on pretty much uh, every All his big stuff. Yeah, yeah. I I guess like I don't know. So with with you know you, you just mentioned Gail Ann Hurd. You know she ends up producing this movie as well. She marries Cameron. In, in 1985, right after Terminator, you know, a year after it comes out, mm-hmm. the two worked together, obviously, on on this film and got together. So Okay, I pulled it up here. here I, uh, I wanted yeah. to make sure I got this right. I didn't want to just start no, spouting off names. Roger Corman mentored Francis Ford Coppola, Ron Howard, Martin Scorsese, Jonathan Demme, John Sayles, James Cameron. He launched Peter Fonda, Jack Nicholson, Dennis Hopper, Bruce Stern, Sylvester Stallone, Diane Ladd, and William Shatner. He was kind of the linchpin of all of these, all of these, um, what would be Hollywood royalty. Yeah. You know, basically Hollywood royalty. Uh, he was their mentor. He was the one that kind of got them all started. And that's where Jan- James Cameron came from. That's why he, that's why he is so, so, so driven with his own vision and to do things on his own. He, he went out and did Avatar basically on his own dime. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that was the most expensive movie ever made. Yeah, well, well, hell, he can do it on his own dime because of how successful James Cameron is. I mean, I, I kind of wanted to ask you this question, not trying to talk a whole lot about James Cameron, but this is a good time to do it as any. Yeah, might as well. I, I mean, how do you feel about the argument that Cameron may be the most successful director of all time? I think, I think he, from start to finish, he has his hands in everything. Yeah. Someone like Spielberg works with, he'll have John Williams, he'll have... George Lucas, he'll have Kathleen Kennedy. He has all of these people he can go to to get certain things. Mm-hmm. James Cameron does everything on his own as much as he possibly can. Yeah. So he doesn't necessarily have to rely. He can do every job. He knows how he literally can pick up a camera and do every single job on the film set. I can't say the same thing about someone like Steven Spielberg or Francis Ford Coppola or, you know, Martin Scorsese. They, they're very good directors. They're very good at telling a story. James Cameron is a very good filmmaker. He's not just a director. He's not just a producer. He is a writer. He is an editor. He is a special effects guru. He, he created the modern 3D cameras that are used now. Yep. I mean, he... If he wants to do something, he goes and makes it. Yeah, I would say he is the greatest filmmaker of of. In, in he is the greatest filmmaker. Yeah, I I mean I'm I'm pretty much up there too. I you know he's revolutionary in, in what he does. Um, you know he sets the new standard for how things are supposed to be. Like you mentioned with Avatar with 3D movies, um, even with his special effects work. In, in T1 such set such a, a huge standard and how movies are going to be done for the 90s and 2000s or T2 I'm sorry uh, with all of that kind of stuff so it, it's and then when you're thinking you know Hollywood in the end is all about you know money the dollar the dude has the top two grossing movies of all time mm-hmm. I, granted it's not Terminator you know it's it's Avatar and it is Titanic but those two movies alone are five billion dollars in worldwide um you know, ticket sales and everything else, which is an insane number. Well, even this movie, this movie was ultra low budget. It was $6.4 million budget. Yep. It box office 78.3. That is a huge return on a film. Yeah, massive. 
Yeah, it's a when it when it you know he he is in with that company like you said Spielberg, Coppola, Scorsese, Hitchcock, all those kind of people that were revolutionary in their own ways and things that they did. He's definitely in there. Um, so yeah, and and what's neat about uh, I think Cameron too, like some of those directors we just mentioned, is that they can do any kind of film. You know, this is a sci-fi action. Obviously, we know Titanic and Avatar and The Abyss and all these other kind of movies that Cameron has done all fit all different genres in, into filmmaking. So Absolutely. And, yeah. and they all have a certain degree of technical wizardry to them. I mean, even even Titanic won all of the technical awards when it was yeah. up for the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the heart, he's a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And regardless of what genre it's in, whether it's action or or um, um, espionage, like with True Lies, mm-hmm. or you know any of the movies that he's done, the story is always kind of the central focus of it. Uh, and then on top of it, he can add all of the technical aspects. Yep, for sure. Did you get into any of like how this movie came about in terms of what like Cameron's idea for it? I've got a couple things here, but I did go ahead and read them though. Go ahead. All right, I mean, all that I had here was that he was working on a movie, Piranha Two, in Rome. Uh, doing some special effects work, wasn't feeling well, went to bed, had a dream about the the cyborg. So the metallic torso, I guess the dream was he had these knives being pulled out, like out of an explosion, which obviously is going to be reminiscent of a scene in the film. And so that kind of gave him this idea of wanting to do this type of cyborg, sci-fi type movie. But then he also was heavily influenced by John Carpenter, um, with Halloween, so he wanted it to kind of be like a slasher film, but from a sci-fi type of perspective, and he pretty much wrote the script uh, all on his own, got a little bit of help um, from, I'm trying to remember his name, because he also helped him with T2. Yeah, w- uh, William uh, William Wisher Jr. Thank you, yeah. He did some additional dialogue, specifically Sarah Connor's dialogue. Yeah, and so for the most part, though, I mean, this was definitely Cameron's idea uh, from beginning to end, and I have on here too. Originally, the idea was that there were going to be two Terminators that were going to come back in time, and the one was going to be like the one that we saw with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but the other one was going to be a kind of liquid metallic liquid type one, mm-hmm. which obviously gets recycled and is used as the T one thousand and T two. Yeah, Cameron nicks that idea because he couldn't technologically get it to work yet. Yeah, he uh, knew that he didn't quite have the elements to make it work and wanted to wait. So, mm-hmm. which also just shows like how he knew the future was going to go for stuff. Do you know how that technology came about? No, I do not. He created that technology as well. Okay. Uh, it was initially created for the movie The Abyss. Okay. So he created that uh, that whole computer program to render the uh, computer graphics in that fluid liquid motion, mm-hmm. and then he was able to refine it. Uh, after a couple years and make it into that um, you know morphogenic solution that he created with the with the T1000 okay very cool there was a rumor too that they were thinking about having a dog be brought back did you see that no the producers wanted him to have a cybernetic there there's two notes they two notes that they gave him one was to have a cybernetic dog with Reese Mm-hmm. And then the other one was to just kind of um, ramp up the love story between Reese and Sarah Connor, which he did that part of it, but he nixed the, he just completely pushed aside the cybernetic dog. Cause that would have really, been weird. And that only would have been weird, but it would have gone against the story where the, the, the dogs are what help them determine who is a human and who is a Terminator. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, the only other thing I have on Cameron for the moment is just that he did a lot of, he called the term guerrilla filming, mm-hmm. where he would film parts of the movie without permits or anything. And as soon as the police arrived, they either like scatter or they'd make up some bullshit story and then things would kind of go on as, as could go. So that's why so much of this movie is in the dark because they would get Arnold up at like 3 a.m. in the morning. Be like, all right, we got to shoot for about two hours before the daylight comes and there's no one around. And so a lot of the extras, quote unquote, are not really extras at all. They were just roaming around the city, not knowing, you know, just living their lives like, oh, here I am in a movie. And that's the Roger Corman school is to do is it, it any way you can. That's the DIY, do it yourself, get it done, hey, however it takes. We only got $6 million to make a movie like this. I guess you got to be innovative mm-hmm. in how to save those bucks. Well, he started with a $4 million budget and obviously the producers saw what he was doing and gave him another, uh, gave him another 2.4. Or... He was sleeping with her to get some of that extra money. I don't well, know all of that story, but... Well, I mean... The, I got, feel like... Another thing about Cameron, especially since he's been married so many times, is I feel like... I think he gets married because it's beneficial for him and his career. Not necessarily, because he cheated on Gail Ann Hurd with Linda Hamilton. And that's why they got divorced. But Callan Bigelow is in between those two in Caitlin? terms of magazine. Caitlin Bigelow. Catherine Bigelow? Is it Catherine? Catherine I said Caitlin, sorry. No, you said, I don't know what you said. I don't know what I said But it's Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow's in there as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I feel like he kind of uses them for some advantage and then moves on. Because when he was trying to pitch the idea at the studios, you know, Gail was one of the few people that was like, yeah, you know what, I'll support this. Mm -hmm. So I feel like maybe there's a little bit more going on behind behind the scenes. Why are you talking on the side of your mouth? I don't know. It's, it's, It's very weird. It is, because this is a podcast, and people obviously can't see what I'm trying to insinuate here. No, not at all. All right, anyway. Moving on. Yep. So, um, there is also another story with this story of the Terminator, and that is from the Outer Limits TV show from the 1960s. So, Harlan Ellison was a writer for the Outer Limits, which I've never seen that show. I Obviously, I've heard of it. I think, haven't they done, like, re reboots of the show? I don't know if they rebooted Outer Limits. They did... Oh, maybe they did do on Outer Limits. It was either Outer Limits or Twilight Zone. They're very similar shows. Okay. And so there was an episode in 1960s called Soldier, which Harlan L- Ellison claimed that was way too similar to The Terminator and threatened to sue Orion Pictures, which did the film. Um, Cameron wanted nothing to do with it. He felt like Harlan was was a loon, was crazy. He's he's making this stuff up, and he he did not want Orion to settle because they ultimately did. Um, and even Cameron to this day, even though he was given a gag order, still thinks that this this was all made up. Um, so whether or not I've never seen this episode of The Outer Limits and how true it is, but at the same time, you know the themes that we see in this movie. I feel like are things that have been talked about in the in history's past anyway with man versus machine artificial intelligence and things like that so unless in the 1960s harlan ellison's dealing with cyborgs and that kind of stuff I yeah don't they're not necessarily new ideas but they're presented in a way that hadn't been before yeah um but you're right yeah i, I don't know really anything about that episode of the outer limits I don't think anybody really cares as far as that part goes. No. You know, they pay the guy off. It's done now. Um, yep. And Terminator's here, and it's uh, clearly much better. Here we go. Music is by Brad Fiedel. 
Uh, and he is famous for the synthesizer heavy soundtracks. That's a note that I put when I was watching this film. I feel like the entire soundtrack in the movie was just done on a synthesizer, and that was it. No or no real orchestra or anything like that. Probably an easy way to make it cheap. No, and I think that fits too. And that had that's a lot with um, with uh, like John Carpenter does a lot of his own music as well, and it's all synthesizer bass. And I know uh, I, I know Cameron was a big Carpenter fan. Um, and again, this is the whole DIY thing. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's use what you have. Uh, initially, they didn't want to go with Bill Friedel, uh, and then Gail Ann Hurd presented some music to uh, James Cameron, uh, one of his darker, one of, one of Friedel's darker pieces, and that kind of kind of won him over. Um, we have a little bit of the Terminator theme here. Obviously, we play it at the end of every single one of our shows. We play the T2 version, mm-hmm. uh, but this is the original T1 version uh, that's all synthesized. With a drum machine and a synthesizer, you're you're pretty much all set there. So yeah, I love that theme. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I even I even like the I think the synthesized version really fits as well. It's it's like a it's it's like a retro comeback right now when it comes to like where music is now and things like that. So pop quiz, hot shot. Oh, <laughs> all right, LPJ, I got one for you here. Okay. So Brad Fiedel is also a famous musician on the keys for a pretty big group from the 1980s. Do you know who they are? A pretty big group from the 1980s. Is he American? He is. Mm. And saying they is a little bit of a hint there, too. Because they're a team in the 1980s. Hauling outs? Good work. Was I right? Yes. <laughs> Brad Fiedel is the keyboardist for Hall and Oates. Oh, very nice. I had no idea. Because your kiss is on my list, man. That's weird, but okay. <laughs> hey, Sarah, smile. Okay. Is All it the right. same Sarah? Is it the Sarah Connor smile? Is that is that maybe where that came from? So Gail Ann Hurd <laughs> bought the original draft for this movie mm-hmm. for one dollar. I'd buy that for a dollar. Oh, wrong movie. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Not as good of a movie, I'll admit. <laughs> Still very good, though. Yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, so this movie only cost her a dollar. But there was a catch. For the dollar, what did Cameron say he had to do? He had to direct. That's right. Which makes sense. Yep. I mean, he. this is his movie. This mm-hmm. has his stamp all over it. I mean, this is obviously his first movie, but it, it's a James Cameron film. Yeah. It absolutely is. Yeah, as soon as, I mean, the Nate, he still gets credit for it, so maybe he doesn't get the, you know, would it be like royalties, I guess, from a screenplay? I don't know how that would work out. Like, what would Gail Ann Hurd get from this financially? Oh, well, she gets the right to produce it, and as a producer, she basically, what happens is a producer buys a script, mm-hmm. and then they, they get the rights to that film to then go and produce it, so that they get money as a producer. 
Okay. All right. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Ready to go through this cast? Yeah, let's go. Do you got anything else? No, no, no. no, no okay. not, not yet. All right. Go just want to double check. So obviously our Terminator is the one, the only Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. Man himself. Um, this has to be one of the most famous roles in all of cinema, right? It's got to be. Everyone, everybody on the planet knows the Terminator. And it's one of Schwarzenegger. This really is one of the films that put Schwarzenegger on the map. Oh, yeah, because he didn't have much of a filming career before Terminator, right? He was working on Conan the Barbarian um, while this was getting started. This movie, he almost didn't do this movie. No, he did not. He did not. He initially just did it as... All right, yeah, a couple weeks, I'll go film this movie, you know, <laughs> it's it's a sci-fi film, no one's really going to see it, and if they don't, no big deal, it's not really going to hurt my career at all, because he had Conan on the back burner yep. that he was working on anyway. Yeah, and uh, when he auditioned, it was not for the role of Terminator. Who did he actually audition for? It, for Reese. For yeah, Reese. he w- he was going to be the hero, he was going to be Reese, and then Cameron realized this guy's huge like he would make a perfect terminator because we would need someone even bigger to to be the terminator Mm -hmm. and so um sylvester stallone was considered uh to be terminator as was mel gibson um i'm so happy neither of those were the case i do love the other choice which i can see her already smiling there who was it lpj the other choice was (laughs) oj simpson yes however the producers feared he was too nice to be taken seriously as a cold-blooded killer. <laughs> that is one of life's greatest ironies, is it not? Right indeed, there? indeed. Do you know how this film was pitched? Mm-mm. So this will lead us into the characters, characters as well. This was fi- this was pitched. So Lance Henriksen is a friend of James Cameron. Yep. James Cameron dressed Lance Henriksen up as the Terminator. His vision of in the leather jacket with the glasses and the boots and the pants and all that stuff. 15 minutes before the movie, or 15 minutes before the meeting with the producers, Lance Henriksen kicked the door open, dressed as the Terminator, sat down in a chair and didn't say anything. (laughs) And then 15 minutes later, in walks James Cameron, and Henriksen leaves, and the producers said to him, we'll make your movie, you can cast anyone you want, except for him. (laughs) Except for Lance Henriksen. (laughs) So, obviously Lance Henriksen did appear in the movie, yeah. Uh, as I don't even remember what his, what his name was. Um, I didn't write him down. Yeah, Lance Henriksen actually ends up forming a, a strong bond with with James Cameron, and and subsequently appears in Aliens as yep. uh, as Bishop, uh, and does some other some other films for Cameron as well, or helps him out. Uh, same thing with um, Michael Bean was in Aliens, and I'm missing somebody else. One other person was in Aliens too with them. I don't know. I mean, talking about aliens, so they wanted to get Terminator started back in 83. Mm -hmm. They're going to shoot in Toronto, but Arnold was still committed to finishing Conan, the Barbarian, so they changed the location to L.A., started it in the winter of 84. Um, So for a side project, while Cameron was waiting for Arnold, he wrote Aliens. He not only wrote Aliens, he wrote Aliens, he wrote... There was a bunch of stuff that he wrote. He wrote Aliens, he wrote... Yeah, well, I'm just sitting on the couch waiting for Arnold Schwarzenegger to get ready to be in my movie. I'll just write another blockbuster movie. He wrote Aliens. I think he wrote The Abyss. He wrote. He was hired to write um, Rambo: First Blood Part Two. Yeah, I did see that one. Yeah. Uh, he prepped. He prepped a bunch of other stuff too. Like <coughs> in that time frame, 
he basically laid the groundwork for his next three or four films. <laughs> yeah, for the next decade of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, for Arnold, too, Arnold trained for three months for how to use those weapons in the film. Um, obviously, with Arnold Schwarzenegger being the bodybuilder, he, he didn't have a whole lot of history with using weapons and guns and all of that. So it took him over three months to learn how to use those weapons correctly and make it look believable in the film and all that. Um, and I didn't notice this until I saw it written online. He has 18 lines in the entire movie. Yeah, he says less than 100 words. <laughs> yeah. The entire film. Yeah, that's it. Which... Yeah, that's crazy. And then the famous line, you know, I'll be back, uh, was played around a lot of different ways. The original way it was written was I'll come back. And the problem that Arnold had with the line was he didn't say the contraction very well, I'll. So then it was like, well, how about you say I will be back? And none of that seemed to it didn't just didn't, it just didn't sound right. Yeah, and and he didn't uh, his argument was why would a robot say a contraction? Which I, I would argue is probably true, but and that's funny that, that came out of Arnold. But I mean, man, would movie cinema be different if we didn't have "I'll be back"? That is one of the top so two quotes of one of the top ten quotes of all time, right? In a movie, easily. Oh, it's got to be easily. I mean, there's so much to this movie that is taken that is that's been absorbed by pop culture. Oh yeah, you know, come with me if you want to live. Yeah, uh, I'll be back. You know, all that stuff. It's all that's all taken from this film. Yep, we got Michael. Bean? Bain? Yeah, Michael Bean. Michael Bean, all right. He plays Kyle Reese. Um, the only other thing I have about him, he was using Cameron's Aliens in the Abyss, like you said, so he becomes a, a good actor for James Cameron. Uh, Sting was considered mm-hmm. to, to play as Kyle Reese, which I would say they look alike, but I don't think Sting would have been good at all. Now, have you ever seen Dune? I have. Sting's pretty good in Dune. He's not bad in that. I, I don't I don't think he'd be bad as an actor. I just don't think he would have fit as this sci fi saver of mankind type of no person. I, I, I could see someone like Patrick Swayze in this. He might be too big, but he'd be a fun challenge with the Terminator. He would be. Yeah, no, Patrick Swayze's not that big. Patrick he, Swayze was pretty big. No, he was he was um, muscular, but he wasn't big. He was lean. He was real lean. Well, is Arnold that tall and big? I don't think. Yeah, he Arnold's is. a big dude. Is he tall though? I think he is. I think he's like six three. See, I feel like he's only like six foot. I don't. I mean, think obviously so. he's massive. Let me but. pull it up. Uh, we also have Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, uh, as LPJ mentioned earlier. Uh, James Cameron does eventually marry Linda Hamilton. I think it was in the early nineties. It was his third wife. Um, they didn't last very long either. Uh, I do have Paul Winfield as Ed Traxler, who's the police lieutenant. Um, he also plays a, a pretty big role in a movie that LPJ and I love together. Do you know what it is? The Lieutenant from Terminator? Same era, a couple years before it. We talked about it right before we started doing the podcast stuff. No, I'm trying to blank. Uh, he's the guy from Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. With, uh, is it Chekhov he's with? Yeah. He's the captain or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you find out how tall Arnold is? 6'2". Six 6'2". Two. Six two. All right, well. I guess he split the difference between what you and I were thinking. Lou Ferrigno is 6'4". Hmm. I, didn't, I didn't think Lou Ferrigno was that tall. Yeah. Earl Bowen is Dr. Peter Silberman, the criminal psychologist. Uh, besides Arnold, he's the only one to be in the first three movies. So I forgot he was in the third film. 
I haven't seen the third film in a while, so I forgot as well. Did you see? You did see it though. I have seen it. Yeah, and I liked it. Yeah, I didn't hate it. Yeah, I didn't hate it. I mean, I don't necessarily like where they took the story, but yeah, the movie wasn't bad. I also saw that Earl Bowen was Taurus in that stupid ass GI Joe movie you made me see. Yes, he was. Yeah, great. So anyway, all right, I'm ready to go into this film. If you are LPJ, yeah. Well, did you talk about Bill Paxton? I did not talk about Bill Paxton because he was in the movie for about 15 seconds. Yeah, this is this is one of Bill Paxton's debuts. But you know what? That can be a great introduction to the movie because he's right in the can. beginning. Well, and you know what? There's not even a ton to talk about as far as plot goes. I mean, basically what you have to know is you know that the beginning of the movie opens with a big giant lightning storm and all of a sudden Schwarzenegger appears naked. Uh, he yes. walks up to some hoodlums, he kills them and steals their clothes. Yep. And the one, well, he kills the one, he rips his heart out. Well, you know, he, he punches his hand through his stomach. Well, I thought it was like through the heart. Yeah, chest, stomach. All right. It's all in that general area. Yeah. He not, punches through a dude. And that dude is Bill Paxton, isn't it? Is that the one that he killed? Mm, no. Or was it one of the other two guys? No, he punched through, he, the guy he punched through <laughs> plays, um... Uh, who's the he's in he's in the Mortal Kombat movie mm. he's in the he's not Shang Tsung he's um, this would not be in my wheel well no he plays I can't think of the name of the Emperor in in the Mortal Kombat movie now well the guy with all the arms no not Goro oh, not Goro he plays the Emperor the wizard guy you don't know no <laughs> you obviously don't know He's at the very end of the movie, and then he's in the sequel as well. But that's who he is. Okay. He's a, he's a famous character actor also. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, then the Bill Paxton also gets killed. I think he gets thrown through a window or something. I don't know. No, he only, dies. When does he die? I'm assuming he dies. He no. Probably, he's got Ar- to have killed Arnold, all of them. When Arnold, did you see this movie recently? Well, they don't show it on camera. I'm assuming he killed them all. He, I don't he think stole, he did. The last guy with the gray jacket was not Bill Paxton and not Mortal Kombat guy. <laughs> That's the one whose clothes he steals. I guess. I do have to say, like, I kept count of how many people he kills because, man, he kills a lot of people in this movie. Like, I, when I was watching the film, I started keeping track. I had that count. I have the count. Oh, you do have it? I do have it. Okay. I could save it to the end or I could say it right now. Say it right now. You might as well. We brought it up. I think it was like 39. No, it's not that high. What is it? It was like 22. 22? Yeah, it's 22. I thought it was more than that. He took out 13 alone in the police station. Now, I'm assuming just people that you see on screen that die. Because you're right. Like, maybe he did kill the other two punks in that opening scene. Yeah. I only counted it based off of who we actually see die. All right, fair enough. So, Arnold took out 22 while you're watching the movie. All right. So, he takes out a lot in the club, too. Um, What about her mom? I did count the mom okay. because you kind of I think there's a scene in the cabin where you see like some blood and all that. I'm assuming she's dead. Okay. Now, I didn't assume anyone else was with mom. I just assumed it was just mom. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So I, I counted mom. So anyway, so uh, one of the next scenes is you see another flash of light and then Michael Bean appears. Yes. Also naked. Yes. And he runs and gets some clothes, runs from the police, runs through a... A department store. Steals the homeless guy's pants. Steals the homeless guy's pants. Because he's like, that son of a bitch took oh my, my pants. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then they basically both try and track down Sarah Connor. They do. So we see, you know, the Terminator looks in the phone book, which for those younger, you know, listeners, a phone book used to be attached to a payphone. They still have them. Really? They stopped I delivering one, them to my house. I got one last week. No BS. I got, oh. the, I got the, the white pages... 
or the yellow pages. I'm sorry, last week. Well, maybe because the city of Livonia is trying to fit with its demographics of a bunch of old people. I don't know. In Canton, I haven't gotten a phone book in years. So. Well, good for Canton. Yeah, it is good for Canton. I don't like to kill a tree because who the hell needs a phone book? Nobody in needs 2018? a phone book. I threw it away. Exactly. So I. You no, didn't I, even recycle it. Of you course didn't I bother. Recy- oh, of course I recycled it. Really? No. <laughs> I didn't think. So. <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so they both end up looking in the phone book. Yes. They both tear the page out, do the same thing. Mm-hmm. The Terminator as a machine. Well, actually, I don't know if Kyle Reese did that. Yeah, that was the first thing he did after he got closed. But he had the picture of yeah, but Sarah Connor. But picture's not going to give her in a give him give him an address. No, he goes to the phone book. He, when does he first see her? I'm trying to remember again. He doesn't visit her at the diner where she works, right? He first sees her at the club. Oh no, he's stalking her outside of the bar, right? I'm trying to remember when does he first see Sarah Connor. He, I think he almost like accidentally runs into her. No, he fi- he tracks her down. So like she's like leaving the apartment and then he sees her. He tra- no he tra- he f- he when does he find her? First? Right, like I'm thinking I might have just hit a pl- plot hole here. I don't understand. I don't think I can remember where Kyle Reese finds Sarah Connor. Definitely know where Terminator does it because the Terminator goes into the apartment of hers kills her roommate and the boyfriend and then sarah connor is an idiot and calls home and says where she is so terminator clearly knows where she is but i don't know how kyle reese finds out that's a great question yeah i don't know because she's not she's not at home when he unless does he follow her from from his from her apartment to work i don't think so yeah, I don't know. This might be a big mess here. I don't know. I don't remember. Because Sarah was ditched by the boyfriend, and that's why she went to the bar. Because at the bar, she found out that the second Sarah Connor died. That's right. And then she leaves that bar because she's all freaked out, and that's when... That's when Kyle... He, spot, and that's he when Kyle... Out. He's, like, waiting for her. Yeah. So how does he know, though, that she's at that bar? You know, I bet there was a scene that was cut where he's Must following her from the apartment. It's got to be. Yeah, because he's just kind of like like he's waiting for her clearly on the street for her to leave the bar. You know, so he must have known that she was there. Isn't there, isn't there a scene where he's watching the news and he sees that the one's dead? I don't think so. And he narrows it down because the the Terminator is basically going systematically going from yeah. there's three Sarah Connors in the phone book. Yeah, she's the last one. She's the last one listed. Which lucky for her. Yeah. Which I also want to bring up, like, what would you do if you were Sarah Connor? You, you, well, you you were at your diner, you're at work, and all the, all of your friends told you that Sarah Connor died. You're drinking at the bar, and you just hear that a second Sarah Connor died. What would be going through your mind at that point? That two people with the same name as you in the same city just got brutally murdered. I would do the same thing she did. I would I would go to a public place and call call the police. I get the fuck out of town. I'd get in my car and start driving, and I don't think I'd tell anyone where I went. Yeah, but you, you still got to... I'd be scared shitless. That's no, what I sure, would be. but you can't... You got to tell the police just because you can't... Um, call you them can't, on my cell phone. You can't... Well, there's no cell phones then. All right, I'll you get on run. a random pay phone. You can't run. You can't run for your whole life. You got to, at some point, get into protective custody. You can try. Yeah. No, I, I would do exactly what she would have done. I like, too, when she calls, you know, at the club, the police, <laughs> the phone's busy. 
Yeah. Was I that a thing? Was that a thing then? I don't think that so. That sometimes a police, like 911, was going to put you on hold and be like, no, no, don't know what's going on there. I have no idea. I don't know if that, uh, I don't know maybe, I guess, maybe in 84, that was a thing. And, and then at the same time, too, like my other little issue here is like, wouldn't the police be like, crazy search looking for this final Sarah Connor. They kind of seem pretty lackluster, like chilled out, like eh, if this other Sarah Connor ends up dead, whatever. They didn't seem very like, they just called the apartment of her. That was it. When yeah. you like be trying to do everything to you'd try and hunt send, this. You'd send some people over. Right? You'd be sending everyone around town trying to find this third Sarah Connor. You'd two think. are already dead. Yeah. So, eventually Kyle Reese meets up with her um, well, in a very dramatic fashion. Yeah, because the Termi- Terminator yeah. busts in, Terminator busts in, Schwarzenegger busts in, starts shooting up the club. Michael Bean gets her and says, Come with me if you want to live. That's right. And then they just start running. They sure. Uh, do. There's car chases, there's gun sh- gunfights. Um, eventually, they get away from the Terminator after uh, shooting him. No, what do they do? Well, they escape in a garage. That's right. And then that's when we kind of get to hear a lot of the background story of Terminator. So it's not really like a, I guess it's kind of like a flash forward in a way. You know, he he starts to explain, you know, how, you know, the story that we know of of Terminator, that, you know, the machine defense network, um, what do you say it was called again? Skynet. Dynet, thank you. Skynet becomes... Well, not Skynet, but the one that works... Cyberdyne Systems. Cyberdyne Systems, right? Cyberdyne Systems creates Skynet as a defense system for the United States. Exactly. So it's hooked into everything. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, computers, all of this. They eventually realize that human beings are a threat. It becomes sentient. Yes. Yep. And so they believe that humans need to be exterminated, ultimately. And so nuclear war happens. There's very few human beings left most of them are enslaved you know Kyle Reese then says that John Connor who ends up being Sarah Connor's son um, is kind of this rebellious leader trying to get the slaves to rise up against the machines and all of this and that's why he's here to make sure that she lives and gives birth to the son that becomes a leader yeah because the T-1000 so Skynet figured out that uh, on its Skynet was beaten its defenses were down, mm-hmm. um, so in a last-ditch effort, it sends the T-800 back to kill Sarah Connor yes. before John Connor can be born and incite the rebellion. Yes. Uh, and then John Connor sends his friend Cal Reese to go and save his mom. Yep, to save his mom. Uh, not knowing that Kyle Reese is really... Well, he knows. I was going to say. Kyle but- Reese doesn't know. Kyle Reese is actually the father of John Connor, but doesn't even know. Yeah. So, you know, this always brings up, you know, you're the physics uh, major here. Does this create this, like, crazy-ass time loop where, like, this has, paradox? To, yeah, right? this has to keep happening and happening and happening for they, it to exist? Well, they get around this by saying it's a possible future. Mm. So, so one of multiple. Yeah, know. so basically what they're alluding to is the theory that uh, every choice creates an alternate timeline. Yeah. So... You know, every choice that everybody makes creates there's infinite timelines in the universe, and that's actually how they how they explain how one of the future sequels, Terminator Genesis, happens. It's a mm. different timeline mm. that they go back to, and um, so eventually they send uh, Kyle Reese back. Kyle Reese is there to protect Sarah Connor. They go on the run from the T eight hundred. They sleep together. She gets pregnant, and then. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the remainder of the movie is just them trying to to escape the Terminator 
while Kyle is trying to figure out a way because he even tells her, which I wouldn't tell her, he doesn't even know how he's going to kill this thing. Yeah, with the know? weapons that they have in the past, because as part of time travel, you can you can you can transport organic material only, yep. nothing inorganic. Which I guess is why they come out naked. Correct. Yes. And my other question is, I get it would be painful, but why not shove a blaster in your ass or something? <laughs> you know what I mean? Put some kind of some kind of bomb or something in your body, and you know, take it with you. Because obviously the Terminator can go because he's that's true flesh around on the outside, right? He's he's human flesh around a you know a metal alloy body. Which also, why didn't Terminator bring anything? He's just a damn robot. Yeah, he could have very easily stuck weapons into his body, opened himself up, and yeah. you know, gone about his business. I mean, I guess he probably didn't really have to with how strong he is. He could use anything. I suppose. Because even at the end of the movie, he was just going to choke her. So yeah. I guess mm-hmm. he maybe realized I didn't need to do, bring a weapon from the future. Yep. I don't know. So they eventually round up some weapons and well, make he some, makes a bunch of bombs, makes a bunch of pipe bombs, uh, a ch- a, another car chase. There's a lot of car chases. I was surprised. Yeah, I didn't remember this as many car chases as before. Yeah, I mean, they're good. Like they're well scripted and yeah. like, no, all the action scenes in this are fantastic. There's yeah. nothing really nothing crazy about it. No, nothing outlandish. Um, everything. I mean, I mean, obviously it's an action movie, so some stuff is exaggerated. I did see that they they filmed the car chases in in normal time, like regular speeds, mm-hmm. and they just actually just sped up. The, in some the of film. them, yeah, they yeah. ramped it up. Yep. Yep. So. Uh, so they create the pipe bombs. They uh, eventually blow the Terminator. T- the Terminator gets into an oil tanker, mm-hmm. and it eventually explodes. With the Terminator inside. Yeah, Reese it, throws a pipe bomb near the back of the tanker. Mm-hmm. He shoves it in. Awesome There's explosion. A huge explosion. It was yeah. really cool. And uh, it, it burns away all the flesh of the Terminator, so all you're left is this metal endoskeleton. And, and Sarah kind of assumes that, well, he, he's dead. It's got to be it. Mm-hmm. You know, She doesn't know what's going on in 2029 technology or whatever, which is also kind of terrifying You know, because it says in the very beginning of the movie, that the whole dystopia Armageddon life is 2029. It's only 11 years from now. This movie, well, this movie freaks me out. Well, uh, the 2000, is it 2007 is when the apocalypse was supposed to happen. Oh, was it? Yeah. Well, I think it was 2007. We missed that, luckily. But maybe not for long. I'm going to talk about that later. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, so then they go, they start walking away, but then they realize, oh, that robot is very, very there and alive. And I have to say, the the cyborg, the robot, still today scares me a little bit. I'm not going to oh, lie. It's it so is, cool. It is the skeletal structure of it and those red eyes. Mm-hmm. It still kind of freaks me out a little bit. It yeah, is that a was, terrifying robot. That was all created by Stan Winston. Uh, right. Stan Winston is famous for creating things like the Terminator, the Predator, mm-hmm. uh, all of these iconic characters. Um, this is one of the movies that really, because Stan Winston wasn't really the big name then. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember who they asked at first, but he couldn't do it. So that guy suggested Stan Winston. And this is one of the movies that put Stan Winston on the map. Yeah, if some idiot company today tries to make a robot that looks anything like a Terminator, I'm going to freak the hell out without yeah. a doubt. I would imagine it probably is, would. It is terrifying. I bet you somebody will. I'll bet you some idiot will. Mm-hmm. So then they go into this like um, 
it's, it's a, a stamping robotic plant. factory. Yeah, stamping it's plant stamping or whatever. Plant. Yeah, there's a bunch of other robots in there though. Yeah, it's an automated stamping plant. Reese, uh, Reese, Reese got damaged, by the way. You know, while they were doing the final car chase, he got shot pretty good. Yes. But he's trying everything he can to try and take out this metallic, what's left of the cyborg, eventually shoves the final pipe bomb he has into its chestal region, mm-hmm. blows blows up the cyborg and himself. He, he dies. Yep. Um, but then there's still, like, the remaining top half yeah, of this robot. Yeah, the torso, arms, and the head are still remaining of the Terminator and yep. it's a Terminator. It doesn't stop. That's right. Uh, and it claws its way after uh, Sarah Connor. Yep. And then she says, you're terminated, fucker. Yeah. She uh, she crawls the... through a hydraulic press, yep. one of the hydraulic stampers, and then manages to find the on button miraculously around the corner without being able to see it. Well, but she did find it earlier. When they were roaming around, she accidentally hit it. Oh, I didn't see that part. Yeah. You know what? You're, yeah, you're right. Now that I think about it, yep. I didn't remember that part. So I think she did know it was there. Yeah. So she, yeah, she stamps it. Ju- she crushes it just in time. Uh, the arm is still sticking out mm-hmm. uh, toward her throat, and that plays obviously huge into the sequel. Uh, and then yep. the film ends with her being hauled, her being uh, examined by um, medical no. personnel. Well, yeah, just she's by, med- yeah. by medical very personnel. shortly. Yep, and then it kind of cuts into uh, she's like in the desert, and she's obviously she's pregnant. Jeep, she's pregnant, and uh, in the very end of the movie, a little Mexican kid runs up to her and takes a picture of her with a Polaroid camera, and it turns out that picture is the picture that Kyle Reese had in the future. Mm-hmm. That exact that exact photo. Yep, and then some other guy says, "There's a storm coming," and she's like, "Yep, there mm-hmm. sure is." <laughs> yep, they have no idea. They do not. And then she drives away. And this movie, like, this movie begged for a sequel. Yeah, it did. Like, there is, I mean, it didn't really set up a sequel, yeah. but it, it's one of those films where you you wanted it to have a sequel so bad. Yeah, because there's still so many, like, what ifs. Like, who, there's so much who story came, left to tell. Yeah, right? Like, who came and explored the robot? Like, who went and checked out Kyle Reese and what the hell he was? Like, how did she actually get let go and all sorts of other... Like, there's so many things to it. And obviously that they answer a lot of those questions in T2. Yeah. Um, not necessarily all of them. Kyle Reese, they don't ever really explain. No. Uh, T2, they the arm comes back. It's in a case, and it turns out... You know, spoiler alert: the arm is what the arm and the and the chip in the T one thousands T what T eight hundreds brain is mm-hmm. what Cyberdyne uses to create Skynet. Yeah. Again, which goes back into that paradox back of time to the, to, and the, all to the time paradox. Yeah. You know, chicken and egg kind of conversation. Yeah, and I had forgotten actually that um that Cal Reese has sex with Sarah Connor. Yeah, because I hadn't seen the first one in quite a while, and I forgot that that was even a thing. In fact, it it did kind of seem. I don't know. They were trying to say in some of the... I was watching a little bit of some... What do you call it? Um, documentaries and whatnot. That you know they kind of needed to add that piece into the movie. It did seem a little... Like it kind of came out of nowhere. In in my opinion. It just kind of seemed like... like Yeah, he was saving her and all of that. And then all of a sudden they like strip naked in the motel and have sex. And it was a weird scene. Yeah, was I don't awkward. know that they necessarily you know built the built the relationship real well but no. I, granted they couldn't i guess. you know they didn't really have a ton of time did you know not really a pop quiz but yeah. this is the shortest of the terminator films 
I believe it was only like 90 minutes, right? Maybe mm-hmm. 100 minutes. Yeah, it was, it was an hour and a half. Yeah, it was, I think it, yeah, it was almost exactly 90 minutes. Yeah. 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 It just, it seemed like, I don't know. It seemed like that was a bit of a stretch. Like they could have done a little bit more for the relationship there. I guess I'm also thinking to myself, when do you have time to have sex? You've got this Terminator that is going to find you and you decide to take a break for the night and get it on. I'm like, you know, I wrote that down in my notes. Like, why are you staying at the motel this long? I'd be running away even further. But you seem to think that you you can't run away. No, you can't. Not from a turn. And 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 Reese knows this. He knows yes. you can't run away. And I and his his love his love for her is explained because he's always he's had that picture. Yeah, they do. And yeah. he fell in love with that picture, knowing that ultimately that was going to be his mission. At first, when I saw the picture, though, I didn't think that was necessarily her. It didn't look like her in the picture. Yeah, it did. It looked exactly like her in the picture. Did it? Maybe I didn't see it well enough. Obviously not. Yeah, no, that was definitely her. So his love, her love for him, I don't, you know, that that may be a little little more unbelievable, but I think, you know, I think ultimately, I think his love for her is explained pretty well. I guess. Do you have a favorite scene from this movie? A favorite scene from this movie? I mean, there are some great things in this movie, but. I mean, this movie, this movie holds up real well. It does. Just in general. Um, I don't think there was any part of this movie that I didn't enjoy. Yeah. The effects were good. I mean, granted, it was it was still stop motion. You could tell it was stop motion animation. You could tell that they were filming, you know, against the screen. They did. It does. But I, you know, I'm not trying to bring it back up, but I'm going to. Like in RoboCop, it just looks so obvious. And, and we had that conversation. I feel like Cameron did a fantastic job trying to make that stop motion as hard to be noticeable as possible because where you see it is in like those dark scenes of the flash forwards where they have the flying ships and all that but mm-hmm. like just because it's so dark and how it's filmed you don't it's not as obvious in my opinion i agree but i think in those scenes you had this is still three uh, this is three years before robocop even. no i get that but he also had the advantage of shooting dark scenes the scenes in robocop were all shot during the day true so you can't hide as much there's you you can't hide you have to have lighting you have to have all those things match and that's more difficult to do than shooting in a darker environment and that's not to say that i think that the scenes in robocop are better than terminator you're absolutely right the terminator stuff is better than the animation in robocop i totally mm-hmm. get that um but i think I, I don't think it had the same challenges to overcome that robocop did yeah my favorite scene is the police station scene which was one we kind of glazed over but i did want to bring it back up because it's because you feel like there's that level of safety but then you also know like he's gonna come and then that is the most iconic part because that is where he says i'll be back absolutely it just drives right through the police station and he just kicks ass in that station Mm -hmm. and like you start to feel a little bit like holy shit like you get a little bit of that thrill like there's nothing that's gonna stop this thing no Yeah, I, I, I love that, the police That is a really scene. good scene. That is a great scene. I like the scene where he's buying all the guns. Yeah, you know, I think that's for whatever reason. It's a it's a small scene and it's a subtle scene, but I like that scene. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I like all the stuff in the future. I, I think do too. all that stuff looks real cool. That's one of those things. I mean, it there wasn't a lot of those scenes, but he was able. Cameron was able to build an entire world. Yeah, like a huge. 
mythos to this film in 90 minutes with very few scenes and create an entire world that no one had ever seen before. But you understand that there's a much larger picture than just what's happening with these two characters in, in, in 1984. Yeah, and it's it, it's ironic also that we're talking about this movie's done in the year 1984. I mean, you're talking like George Orwell, sure. 1984, Big Brother, mm-hmm. because it's just one of those themes that he is bringing about. And like you said it, like he's not like super in your face about this conversation about artificial intelligence and all this kind of stuff. But clearly it just sets forth this huge motion and conversation about technology and, and how we interact with it and, and where the world can, can possibly head to towards it. And, and I would argue like this is one of the first times we really start to see this conversation take such a big role. In, in life. I mean, you have, like, I wrote down here, like, I think 2001 A Space Odyssey um, is a movie from the 1960s with Kubrick where he brings up, like, artificial intelligence, right? Help and the pot doors type of deal. Um, even in, like, movies and, or in novels, I'm sorry, you've got, like, iRobot and even, like, in the 1800s, like, Mary Shelley with Frankenstein talking about humans interacting with technology type of stuff. But this is, this is the movie that really brings that conversation into the mainstream and is still something that you and I and anyone can have endless conversations about is how, when do we know when technology and artificial intelligence, like when we're doing too much and what this could possibly mean for our future. I mean, I think it was, um, what's his name? Stephen Hawking that just passed away that says like our biggest threat to mankind is artificial intelligence. And just with how fast things are progressing, it, it kind of scares the shit out of me a little bit. Yeah, this movie's very predictive, but this movie was very predictive of what we're facing now. Right? I mean, you look at a guy like Elon Musk who's saying, we need to put legislation in place right now yeah. to, not necess- to, to regulate the growth of artificial intelligence because at some point it is going to become sentient. Yeah. You know, he's saying that he's a pretty smart guy. He seems to be a pretty smart guy. You got people like um, like Stephen Hawking, like mm-hmm. Bill Nye, people like uh, um, 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 what's his name, the I, physicist. Um, mm, oh my God, I have all of his books. I don't know. There was an Economist article that I shared with my students um, during the school year that was talking about you know the military has all this technology with drones and whatnot, and that these drones, you just tell them a very short thing of what you want them to do, and they can make adjustments and changes as the situation is unfolding. So they know where to find the human beings on a mission. And if something changes that alters their flight directions or whatever they know how to adjust and that kind of stuff in the the article is ultimately saying like wars are not going to be fought by human beings anymore they don't need to be you're just going to have countries send drones back and forth to each other mm-hmm. because you you can install that technology now that will tell them exactly what they need to do and if things need to be adjusted they'll be able to figure it out on their own that terrifies the crap out of me that is very scary Right? Mm-hmm. Like that's there and that's now. Like we're doing missions now where these drones can do this stuff, which is ultimately what, you know, that's what those Terminators are. Sure. They have one goal and mission and that's it. And they adjust and they make adjustments as they need to. We're going to die. I don't know. I mean, I'm I think, quite terrified. I, think I know Deadite made a conversation about this on a GameZilla episode a few weeks back. He did. And I, I totally agree, man. I don't know. This, this crap freaks me out. 
Yeah, I think I think it can very much go one of two ways. I, th- I think it can go the way of of Terminator, or it can go, you know, something like, you know, like a. I hope humanity can figure it like out. Like an iRobot or a. Or, or, but even though iRobot, it backfires. No, it does, but at the same time, it only backfires with the one robot. I mean, or or something like. I don't know, like look at Star Trek. There's artificial intelligence in Star Trek. Yeah, but even in the Star Trek world, it takes artificial intelligence wars and all that to happen for humans to finally realize, oh, I guess we should figure out how to use this. Oh, I guess I didn't think about that. <laughs> right? Unfortunately, <sighs> unfortunately, we're all unfortunately fiction, we're all doomed. We're fiction all doomed. has told us we're all doomed. We're all doomed. So luckily right now, though, it is fiction. But un- unfortunately, it's becoming more nonfiction and, and so much more believable. Oh, I am frightened. It does. It frightens me for my children. Like, because I, I hate to be that cynical person. I don't know if I trust the leaders of the world and the right people to make these kind of decisions. Like, you know, Elon Musk trying to talk to Congress to get something done. They're not going to do anything about this. That ain't happening. Skynet is probably already there. It might be. And it might be in the form of Google or Amazon. It might be. Or something. I mean, IBM has their... Uh that Watson? Yeah. That Watson is terrifying. Watson is terrifying. Yeah. Right? <sighs> all right. We need to get back to this movie. I know. Well, hey, but it all ties into this movie, and that's what's so great about the Terminator, is that this is what creates that conversation. You know? You know? I think, I think we just need to rate this thing. Yeah. And move on. All right. You want all me right. to go first? You yeah, want to go you first? Yeah, you can go first. Okay. All right. I'm going to say, so we did Goldfinger uh, a few episodes ago, and you and I were pretty similar in that Goldfinger isn't our favorite Bond movie, but it's the most important. That's kind of where I am here with Terminator. I think T2 is probably my favorite Terminator movie, and it's one I have a lot more memories of, and it's it probably has a lot more famous lines even into it, you know, with Hasta La Vista and that kind of stuff. Um, but in order for T2 to happen... Terminator has to happen. And as we just got done having this conversation about artificial intelligence and all these other things, like all of that begins with this film. It it jump starts James Cameron and his future. It jump starts Arnold Schwarzenegger and his future and his career. This is definitely one of those movies. It's the second one since we've been doing the podcast and I'm throwing on my Mount Rushmore. Terminator is a five machine gun movie for me. I'm putting it in my top four. Uh oh, you you're kind of looking like no. It's got... tricky because I will I... say I thought about making this a four and a half because again, like I think that T two is more entertaining, but I tried to look more into the bigger picture of what this movie no, has I, done. I, I, I'm 100%. That's why I changed it. No, I agree with you. I think I th- that's the, that's the issue I have is this yeah. movie is so good. Like there is so much right with this movie. It is very entertaining. I I mean I, I showed you my note page. Mm-hmm. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have eight total notes. And one of them just says Stan Winston FX. It's not even a note. That's just like a name. No. Right? I, I, when I don't That's take like half of Arnold's script right there. Yeah. When <laughs> I when I don't take notes, it means I'm absorbed into a movie. And it's a movie I've seen several times. Mm-hmm. It's a movie from nineteen eighty four. It is it's infinitely watchable. This movie is so good. Um my issue is 
if I give this a five, what do I give T2? Do I also give it a five? I, I think this movie is more. Would. I think this movie is more important. But I think you Terminator don't have to count it in your movie. Mount Rushmore. But you can still give them both a five out of five. We never set a limit of how many five out of five movies you could do. No, are you assuming true. that your Mount Rushmore all have to be five out of fives? Like, and those are the only five out of fives? Because I would disagree with that. I mean, you can do your ranking however you want. No, I know I'm right. going to have more five out of fives that are beyond my top four or five. That's Not fair. many. But. No, that's fair. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to give this a five. I absolutely have to. It, it would be I would be doing this a disservice if I didn't. I think you would. I mean, this movie's fantastic. This is, I, I this I don't know if I I think I would put this on my Mount Rushmore over T two. Mm-hmm. Um, just because. But I I wouldn't be upset with you if you flipped it in terms of that Mount Rushmore. Yeah, they're so they're so. This might be the only film franchise I can say that has two. Like perfect movies, yeah, and, and they're not perfect, but no, they're two as perfect as you can get. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're so watchable, they're so enjoyable. Yeah, you know, you have some issues with the plot, and time travel makes things messy, but but not enough to hurt the film. No, you know, right. like in other movies we've done on this podcast, like we've ripped apart what's going on in the film. Sure. But for this one, like we made a couple notes of like, well, how did like how did Cal Reese, you know, find her or whatever? But whatever, I'm you know, it didn't, maybe it was a scene that did get cut, right? It didn't do anything to to hurt the plot, really. No, and and to hurt the movie to go along. And like you said, I mean, it was only ninety minutes. Yeah, it was, and so. and I don't know, and making it longer, I think would have been bad. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if there's any further recognition that this is okay, I mean, in 2008, the Library of Congress has named this movie culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant and is forever preserved. So when Skynet actually does happen and destroy us, at least the Library of Congress has a copy of this so they can take a look and see what happened. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, this is a five. This movie is great. Go out and see this. Buy it. On every format you can imagine. Well, I'm going to say rewatch it. I, I'm no. really hoping that everyone has seen this movie. Yeah. I mean, you're making it sound like no one's seen this yet. No. I, maybe for our younger listeners. Yeah, maybe they Maybe haven't. they haven't seen it. Maybe they're aware, like like all of us. Maybe we're aware of Terminator, but maybe haven't seen it yet. You know, for me, I didn't see it until much later. So that could very much be. So if you are someone that is that needs something to do next couple of weeks, because this is going to be in the summertime, watch this movie. Yeah, you, you just whether who whatever you can watch this movie. Yep. All right. So another thing you should watch. Time to take care of some business here. Take care of some plugs here. We've got Gamezilla Media. Gamezillamedia.com is where you should go for everything. It sure is. Mm-hmm. There's tons for you to do there. What's your favorite podcast in Gamezilla Media? My favorite podcast right now. Well, I'm I'm slowly getting back into all of these video games now, so mm-hmm. I am loving the Gamezilla podcast and Mondays and getting back Live into yes and getting back into Legend of Retro. I, I do have an SNES classic and an NES classic. Oh, now. you got both. I do have both. Okay, which <clears throat> it's been an expensive summer for me, but uh-huh. I'm, in, I'm enjoying all these games I'm playing. Mm-hmm. But I do have to say, like the Noobs and Dragons has been a nice treat in that it was something I didn't think I would enjoy. So Noobs and Dragons is out on Wednesdays, led by Craig WK as our Dungeon Master. We got Grim, Jazzy, and Chops that are on deep into their voyage throughout. Um, why am I blanking on the name of where they are? Narquellian. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So that's been a, a great enjoyment that I always can't wait to listen to that episode. Yeah, I initially started listening to that just because I wanted to hear Chops in pain. Um <laughs> 
Turns out I still want to hear Chops in Pain, but I also want to hear the story because it's yeah. a good story. Well, you know, he does some stupid crap sometimes, so that's kind of how it is. We also have a wide series of blogs that are out there that you can uh, read as well. I know Craig WK also has a long play that he does with some of his games. What else am I missing here? Oh, we got Gamezilla Alpha, which is a topic show. I like to bring on guests, talk about relevant topics to the gaming industry and to uh, entertainment industry in general. Uh, and obviously, you can check out us. Uh, every Monday uh, on Gamezilla, uh, we obviously have a new episode. We announce, we, we announce our new episodes on Tuesday, too, the topic of our new episode, just so keep an eye on that. Yeah, and if you haven't done so yet, please give us a review on wherever you are listening to podcasts. We'd love to get more people to say great things about our show. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, and contact us on Facebook, join our Discord. Uh, we, if we say something that is dumb or we screw something up, we would love to hear back from you. Or if you don't agree with a rating of a particular movie that we may or may not have covered in the past, RoboCop, um, <laughs> please let us know, as many of you already have. Yes, for sure. Uh, and please take a look at Patreon. Um, Patreon keeps the Patreon the patrons uh, on Patreon keep our lights on. They they basically help us do everything and the more that you donate on patreon the more we can bring you so we've got behind the dm screen uh sphinx and i are working on some stuff for patreon yes it'll be coming out very soon that so. we will hopefully have out soon um and, and there's a lot of stuff you can get access to gamezilla alpha early uh there's a bunch of different things you can do on there and we really appreciate all the patrons all the patrons that are out there <laughs> uh so, uh, so as check much us out. or as little as you can do, we greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. So check us out on GameZillaMedia.com. And uh, I, I would say for right now, though. Our this, Terminator episode Our is. Terminator episode. I was excited to do this episode. Yes, me I too. really am. And, and, and I'm kind of sad to play this music. So in honor of this being T1, normally we play the T2 music. Mm-hmm. But this time we're going to play the T1 music. Yep. So this episode of the Last Action Podcast has been terminated. But we'll be back. Thank you.